I really enjoyed uh, singing in Spanish with you all. Thank you for that. A quick announcement before we start. Next week is Mother's Day, which is a wonderful day in many ways. And um, we are really going to be excited to have a baby dedication. So I just want to throw this out there. If you are interested in having your baby dedicated this next week, come talk to me. We'll have a few couple ideas on on, uh, passages of scripture and such. But uh, come speak with us and we'll make sure that we are able to include your child in that. Well, passion for the world. That is our topic for today. We have a really amazing time of fellowship and food with all the different nationalities present here being represented. And we're really excited about that. But before we begin, I thought we would begin by watching a video uh, of Ira, uh, sorry, uh, in Malawi. Uh, no, sorry, it's in Thailand. This one is. Uh, and it is a video of hand-to-hand ministries, which we actually are a big part of. Um, what I found out is that we, we probably sponsor about one-third of the children of this program. So let's take a look at this and just realize that this is part of our passion for the world. That's how you change the world. That's how you change the world. That's what it looks like to change the world. That's what it looks like to have passion for the world, where the church global comes behind people who are in the church who have a passion in their hearts for a certain people, and then we come around them with our passion for Jesus, and we bring them the support they need. We, we see now with hand-to-hand, they're going to start building actual domiciles in entire parts of the, the slum areas, and God's been bringing money in from different places all over Very exciting if you think about God's passion for the world and how we get to be part of it. We've been speaking about passion. We're in a series called Pathos, and we're we're talking about passion. We began by looking at what passion looks like even in the midst of suffering with these questioning disciples, Cleopas on the road, and trying to figure out um, how how do I understand and have this passion burning within me even in the midst of trying to deal with the questions of the crucifixions and the doubt and all of these things. Last week, we, we learned what passion looks like when we have passion for the truth, and, and sometimes our truths uh, that we've kind of built for ourselves come, come crumbling down. What does it look like to actually have passion for the truth, Jesus himself? And so today, we're going to speak on what does it look like to have passion for the world? And with each of these pictures of passion, we gave you a person. If you notice, you had Cleopas. Last week, we had Peter. And this week, we're going to look at Philip, because we want to see what does a passion look like actually in the individual person's life. And so I want to begin by just realizing that Jesus himself has a passion for the world. And the reason we have a passion for the world is because we have a passion for Jesus. And we see this that... just before he goes into heaven, Jesus has on his mind, not just like his disciples, but he has, he has a, a passion for all the people of the entire globe. He says in Acts 1.8, before ascending, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And there's this kind of threefold plan of the unfolding grace of the Spirit in the book of Acts. We see from the very beginning that Jesus is on a global mission, that the gospel is inherently global in scope. However, people aren't the easiest to work with. And God is working with people. And we find that the apostles have spent their time mostly sitting in Jerusalem, working on the Jerusalem part, 
maybe gone a little bit into Judea, uh, into Judea, but they haven't gone into Samaria. And I'm going to suggest to you there's a reason they haven't gone into Samaria, and it's all too human, perhaps. What it takes to get them out of Jerusalem and going to the globes, the end of the earth, is actually persecution. This guy named Saul starts coming for the Christians in Jerusalem, and he's persecuting them, and that causes them to spread out. In fact, it doesn't just, it, what happens is the apostles themselves stay in Jerusalem, but it's the rest of the Christians that start heading out. And a new name starts to arise in the church. His name is Philip. Therefore, those who were scattered everywhere went preaching the word. And then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things that were spoken by Philip hearing and seeing miracles, which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many and were, who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And this was a great joy in that city. This guy, Philip, has gone down. He started the, the steps towards the ends of the earth. He's gone to Samaria. Now, first of all, we have to ask ourselves, who's Philip? Why is Philip there? What about the big guns, Peter and John. Well, Philip is actually one of the deacons, one of the ministers. He's one of the seven who were given a title because what, would, what happened in Jerusalem is there was a, a fight started up between the Hebraic speakers and the Greek speakers over the question of their widows. And it was realized there's a little bit of inherent favoritism, maybe a slight ethnocentricity amongst the church, and they had to break this, and so they actually hire these seven people who all have Greek-speaking names to start ministering. Not the apostles, these deacons. And what's interesting is that it's actually Philip who ends up going into Samaria because he's forced out of the city, and Philip is the one who brings the word. Now, why didn't Peter and John and these big names go down earlier? Could I suggest to you, it might be, again, a return to that ethnocentricity. The people of Samaria have a very complex history. Samaria is actually the place where the northern kingdom of Israel once existed. Where the ten tribes of Israel existed, and then Assyria came in and wiped them out. And we do not know where the ten tribes went to. In fact, probably what's happening is the people of Samaria are a mixture of the ten tribes of Judah, the Assyrians, and all the other groups enslaved that had all been mishmashed together after that Assyrian conquest. And so you have the people in Samaria worshiping Yahweh, but in a different place, and the Jews are very, very hesitant with them. In fact, there's a point in the scriptures when Jesus goes into Samaria, and James and John literally say, God, can we call fire down upon them? Can you imagine really, literally, pulling on, on Jesus' arm going, can we nuke them? Can we nuke them? Please, please, can we, huh? That's what they wanted to do with the Samaritans. And so we don't have a church moving on this global passion, but we have Philip step up. Why? Because he has a passion for Christ. And this turns into a passion for the world. If I could think about the relationship between the Israelites and the Samaritans, I was trying to think about comparables. And for me growing up, it was probably the relationship between uh, the, the people of Sarnia and, and the native reserve that lived within our borders. It's a lot of tension. 
remember growing up and, and knowing that was there and having friends who were from the First Nations, but just seeing that this wasn't all, and I didn't quite understand it as a kid. And up close to where I grew up in Ipperwash is actually where Dudley George was shot and killed and kind of the whole explosion happened in, in terms of this issue starting to, again, re, be really realized by the government of Canada. And I think well, that's kind of what's going on here. There's a, a deep rift here. This isn't an easy thing to heal. The Samaritans are suspicious of the Jewish people. The Jewish people are suspicious of the Samaritans. They've killed each other for centuries. There's reasons behind this. And yet, God calls Philip to spread the good news. The apostles hear about this and they decide, "Ah, we better check on that. And now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who when they had come down, prayed that they could receive the Holy Spirit, for as yet they had not fallen upon, he has not fallen upon them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now why did this happen? I would say the reason is Peter and John need to see firsthand the Spirit come upon these people and realize Whoa, this is even bigger than we thought. This isn't just Israel coming back. God is up to something amazing here. And so they go back. They hear this. They get excited about it. They decide, like, we're going to take this back. Something's happened here. There's been a, a positive response, an amazing response. God is at work with the Samaritans. Let's go back. And as they start heading back, it says, they start preaching so when they had testified and preached the word of God, the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Peter and John are starting to get it. Giving the Samaritans the word. And what happens next is amazing. After we have the story of Philip, we're going to have the story of Paul's conversion. We're going to have the story of Peter and Cornelius. The gospel starts breaking open. But it's all through the actions of this one minor character, Philip. And God's not done with him yet. He's just kind of responding. Philip's just responding to where God sends him. He's kind of, kind of following along. Kind of reminds me, actually, of, uh, where's Andy? Is Andy Grinberg's here? He's thinking about his own passion for the First Nations people. Now he has this passion. He's like, I got to do something. And, and others kind of jumped on board. And, and now we've had a mission to go out to Muskrat Dam. Do you have a passion for the world? Where is that? How does that play out? How do the people, how do we together live out this passion for the world that Jesus has? I think it's by Philip responding to the situations that he's in. He's in this persecution. And then more opportunities start to come. And we need to follow his lead. Look what happens next. And now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert. Go to the desert. And so he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge over all of her treasury, and had come to Jerusalem to worship. He was returning. And sitting in his chair, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake his chariot. What would you do? You probably listen to an angel. Angel show up. Hey, go to the desert. Okay. Then you're in the desert and you see this chariot coming by. And this very rich, wealthy African man. 
It seems like a lot, doesn't it? Go and overtake his chariot. What? Like he's in a, he's in a chariot, Lord. Horses. Philip, what's your name? Philip, what's that mean? Lover of horses. Chase after the horses. <laughs> and so he chases that. Philip is at a gallop. He starts chasing down this total stranger from an entirely foreign place from him. And so Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I understand unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and to sit with him. The place in the scripture that he read from was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before its shear is silent. So he opened his mouth and in his humiliation, his justice was taken away. Who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. What does this mean? And so the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, whom does the prophet say this of, himself or some other person? And Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. He preached Jesus to him. Notice the Lord is already at work in this eunuch's life. This man has come all the way to Jerusalem. He's seeking, he's searching. He's looking for God. He's very wealthy. He's in charge of an entire nation's treasury. By the way, the, the nation of Ethiopia is very wealthy. And so here he is, and he's looking for God, and he's reading Isaiah, and just in time, this second-tier apostle with a big heart for God and a passion jumps up on his seat and starts saying, hey, let me talk to you about Jesus. What does it mean? He preached Jesus to him. I read that. I was like, oh, that's a really interesting way to put it. Like, do you ever do that? Do you feel comfortable doing that, preaching Jesus to someone? I think it just means like he started gushing about Jesus, what he knew about Jesus, how Jesus related to the scriptures, how Jesus had worked in his life. And notice he was invited first. I like that. He wasn't just like yelling at some guy randomly. He's like, hey, talk to me. And then he's like, I'm going to take this opportunity to open up. And we'll see this leads to the baptisms. What I really love about this is actually, it shows that God loves Africa. Isn't this interesting? God, before... The gospel is going anywhere in Europe, or you're off to hear, oh, it's a European religion. Actually, it's a Semitic religion originally, and then we hear that this nation of Ethiopia receives the gospel, and this unit goes there, and, and it flourishes in Ethiopia, often considered the first Christian nation. This is interesting that God is pouring out already his spirit in new ways, having a passion for the earth, the entire globe, even before his disciples catch it. We're going to see his disciples eventually start, the apostles start working their way out and going to other countries. And, but this is the beginning. And I was thinking about what's going on in Ethiopia. There's Christians there, very many Christian nations in, Ethi uh, in, in Africa. Um, Ethiopia itself to this day have a large Christian population, although there's stress with Eritrea. I know a pastor from Eritrea, and it's, the difficulties are there. We're, we're, it's, a, it's still a, a difficult place in many ways. 
And the gospel is still needed there. And yet we realize that when we think about the, the passion God here has for Africa, I was thinking about our own missions. And we actually have a family that we support that's in Africa, in Malawi, the Morrisons. And we actually have our friend Patrick Morrison here today. So I want to actually invite Patrick, if you come up here, I just want to ask you a few questions. We support your family down in Malawi. Thanks for joining me. See you over there. No problem. Um, why don't you just begin by just you know sharing a little bit about yourself, why you're here, and kind of your your growing up and your kind of connection with the ministry down there in Malawi. Yeah, sure. Um, so we moved to Malawi when I was seven, and uh, so I grew up there. I came back when I was seventeen for school, and I'm still studying here at McMaster, and. Uh, so when we moved, my parents just felt a calling from God to go and serve the needy and the orphans, mm. particularly the orphans. Our, the ministry in Malawi is very much centered around the children's homes. And uh, I think there's 86 children now living in these family groups. Uh, national leaders um, become parents for these kids and parent them and father and mother them in a family that they never had because their parents died through various reasons. So a lot of the ministry is centered around those kids, around giving them a future. And the, the hope is, the hope and the dream is that they will take this gift and they will continue to give back to Malawi and to be leaders in their communities after they leave the iris base. So it sounds like your family had this kind of intrinsic, we're talking about passion, this passion for, for taking care of these orphans, widows, like read the scriptures and realized like this, this is my calling as a disciple of Jesus. And, I, and I, now I feel like he's actually kind of, I almost, I almost hear like a chariot moment of like, go, and, and they're, they're saying, okay, like, and, they're, and they're flying their family to Africa because this passion's been put around their heart. Is that? Yeah, um, it was, a, it was a process. My mom was in Africa when she was 18. She traveled through Africa with her parents. Her parents did mission work uh, with the Rwandan refugees. Wow. So she had exposure there, and that's when she said, Africa captured my heart. And she always knew she was going back. So actually, when my dad asked her to marry her, uh, asked her to marry him, she said, oh, okay, yes, but first you better go on a little trip to Africa and make sure you can live there because <laughs> I am going there, and if you're marrying me, you're coming with me. <laughs> so he did, uh, and he worked for a children's camp in uh, Zimbabwe, and he loved it. Oh. So he said, yeah, yeah. And then uh, one of our other friends took him on a mission trip in 2002, and when, when they were on the mission trip, a little kid came up, and they were, they were in a, doing mission with Heidi Baker, who's the founder of Iris, and they took him to the dumps in Mozambique. And a kid, little 10-year-old kid came up and hold, held his hand, and he said, like, just in that moment, he said it was like a, a Grinch moment. God broke his heart and then gave him one three times bigger. Um. And he just, you know, he started to cry in this dump as this kid held his hand and showed him around. And when he came back from that trip, he said to my mom, you know what? It's time. We're going. God has, God has put it on my heart, and we're going to serve the uh, poorest of the poor. Amazing. It kinda, it's interesting to, to hear that story because it kind of reminds me when you said that, like, your, your mother had this passion. She's like, hey, if you want to 
be with me. It kind of reminds me of what I feel like that's what Jesus is saying to us sometimes as a church. Like, hey, if you want to be with me, you're going to have to go to the world because that's what I have a passion for. I'm like, if I want to follow Jesus, awesome story. And then at the same time, your dad, kind of like Peter and John, had this transformative moment where they're like, now the passion's mine. And now, yeah. and now he, he has this for himself. So, Let me ask you a question. I, I've been throwing this around. What does it mean to you if you said we as Christians should have a passion for the world? Well, I've seen many different people with different passions. And I think a lot of people, when they think about passion for the world, they think of a very sort of narrow structure for it. Like you passion, go out and preach. But it's so much bigger than that. I've seen people serve in so many different facets, especially in Malawi, where I see national leaders who serve by organizing behind the scenes for a conference. I've seen... um, kids that have a passion for the world just simply going out, hanging out with their friends and being an example that way or taking their faith to school. Some of the kids now, um, one of the big challenges facing the Malawian mission now is we have a lot of kids that are getting to an age where they need a secondary education or a secondary school. So they're going off to boarding school because we don't have the facilities at Iris right now to do high school. So we have more and more of these 86 kids that live in these families that are going off to school. And one of the neat things that we've seen is in some cases these kids are going and they're, you know, making prayer groups and they're, they're continuing to live out their faith as they leave Iris, which was always the dream and the hope. Wow. And it's really amazing to see. So when I think about passion for the world, I think about the calling of God to serve whoever we can in whatever way we can for as long as we can. Amen. Preach it. <laughs> With that, thank you, brother. Appreciate it, man. Mo and Joe, you raised a fine young man there, that's for sure. Thank you. So when we talk about having passion for the world, part of that would be supporting people like the Morrisons that we've just heard anywhere, whatever God's calling to us to. The story continued, and now they went down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, see, here's the water. What hinders me from being baptized? Philip said, if you believe in all your heart, you may. He said, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so he commanded the chariot to sit still. Both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. And when he came up out of the water, the Spirit of God caught Philip away, so the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus. Passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. This is a beautiful ending of this, this story. This man immediately realized, I love Jesus, I want Jesus, and is baptized. Philip is no longer needed. He's whisked away. And now we have the story of this eunuch who now loves Jesus going back to his home country. I don't have any more record in the Bible of him, but we have a record of kind of what happens in the spread of the gospel in the country. Because of Philip, his work in Samaria, eventually a church is growing there, and a church forms in a place called Antioch, which is in Samaria, that whole section. And in Antioch, we have the first like truly multi-ethnic church. Jerusalem had a bit of that, but they were leaving at, at Acts. But here's a church that's filled with people of all these different groups of people from different places, including a guy named Saul who had been persecuting the church. 
at Antioch, they're first called Christians. At Antioch, they're the first multi-ethnic church. At Antioch, they're the first missionary-sending church. They sent out Paul and Barnabas to start spread the word. Isn't this beautiful? That just because of his response, because Philip responds to the gospel in this way, that so much more than he could imagine comes out of it. It's just his own personal response to his passion for Jesus transforming the world. Philip listens to this divine guidance. He hears from God, and he acts on it. And the gospel goes to Africa. And I really believe it's really important for us to listen to the voice of the Spirit in our life and to be obedient to it. When we hear God speak to us, that we act on that, that we move in that. We have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Because if we are, so much more will be accomplished than in all of our plans. And God moves through people whose hearts are ready and open to him. Who will use their gifts for planning all these things, yes. But also who are open to let the Spirit move. We need to have a passion for the world. Otherwise, when we say we love Jesus, we don't really get it. If we love Jesus, then we will love the world that he so loved that he died for it. I just want to quickly let you know about some of our missions. As a church, we do take global missions seriously. We have Josiah Adventure that's happening in Poland. We have Hand to Hand down in Thailand. We have Camp El Faro. I think we've heard from Daniel from Ecuador. We just heard from Patrick with Iris Ministries in Malawi. The Voice of the Martyrs are in the Middle East for us as well. So just realize that as you are contributing to the church, we have places that we're trying to, to make sure that we have a presence as a church. And we're excited about that. We're going to have, uh, after uh, this service, if you see the door enter, we're going to invite you, after the service is done, after we're done singing and celebrating, to come and taste a little bit of the, of the nations. We have food that's been prepared for many different nations from within our congregation. By the way, there's many nationalities represented in this room right now, which is exciting. This is the gospel. This is who God is. And what I'll ask you actually to do is... Uh, uh, if, you, if you have children, we're going to have a, some, some of the cookies at the back, I think. Um, but as you go through, you just kind of follow it through and come back into this room, and we're going to have some slides up from our different missions as well. So just kind of, you know, don't, don't dilly-dally too much in that room. Just make sure you kind of move through. Grab your, we have copies from each uh, different part of the world as well, so we're going to have a nice little get-together. And we're just going to mingle. Let's, let's talk. Like, I just ask you, as we're talking, let's try to take some time to talk about God's passion for the world. What's that look like for me? How do, how do I... Live in light of that. Do I respond to the Spirit putting something on my heart? And what could that look like? This thing I do know, that if God is going to truly light a fire and a passion in our hearts as a people, that is going to have to include a love for his world. It's going to have to include a passion for seeing different nationalities coming together under the banner of Christ singing songs in different languages together. Just having a true understanding that Jesus isn't come just for my people. Jesus has come for all people. And the church is the perfect place to demonstrate that. And it's been growing for 2,000 years. And I do believe that when the body comes together, as it does in many nationalities, we are seeing a glimpse of what the world will be like when all is set right. And so when we come to the table today, we're going to come recognizing this is a place of unity. When you receive the bread and the body, let's recognize this represents a God who loved the world so much that he 
die for it. As you take the body, as you take the blood, recognize that your sins are forgiven and that you are united across this entire planet under the reign of King Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you love the world more than we do. We might have some idealized picture of world peace, but you are in the nitty-gritty details of bringing that into reality. And so may we be part of that. May we be unifiers. May we be Phillips. May we be people who are ready to respond when the opportunity is given to help speak truth into this world, speak Jesus into this world, to, to share Jesus. And in whatever way you've gifted us to, to help the church together bring the gospel. And so as we receive the body of Christ, may we be united as his representatives on earth. Amen.